Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad whose New Year's resolution was to leave no stone unturned in his search for the ultimate moe blob, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? Why is my New Year's resolution about moe blobs? What, made what you come is up your with New Year's that? resolution? I don't actually know what you did. I, I don't have New Year's resolutions. I just try to be a better person always, not just once wow. a year. <laughs> Let me just throw up somewhere. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I choose to not engage in the tradition of setting a goal that I will then break like a few weeks into the year. We just try to stay away from that. I kind of agree with that. I mean, maybe this is cynical, but I think sometimes New Year's resolutions set up a false sense of security. I don't know if it's security, but they make you think you're going to make progress false on hope, something man. that, yeah, false, false hope. hope. False hope is the better word for it. So, what's going on? Anime-wise, fucking, I don't know, bro, just trying to simultaneously finish all the anime from last year so we could record this episode and also get caught up slash started on all the stuff that's airing for 2022 in the winter. So watching a lot of anime, super busy at work, and somehow we're still finding time to make this podcast. Yeah, it's entertaining. I don't know what our listeners or even our friends think about how much time we sink into this podcast, but people are surprised by how much time we do. It's more than you think it is. <laughs> That's all I'll say. It's fucking more than you think it is. <laughs> well, in today's episode, we're going to continue our tradition of wrapping up the year in anime by doing our 2021 anime review. We'll be highlighting the shows that stood out to us in each season, for better or for worse, handing out awards for everything from best opening to best director, and finally crowning our personal anime of the year. So let's get into it. All right, Yanni, I think we can both agree that this was an absolute banger of a year to be alive as a weeb. So given that, my first question to you is, what was the worst thing you watched this past year? Nagatoro. <laughs> Damn, you had that prepared. You were fucking on lock for that. Uh, I don't know. I got to think about it a little bit more. Realistically, Nagatoro was not as bad as like Promised Neverland season two, which I unfortunately watched, or maybe even the ending of Wonder Egg or I don't know. There's some other contenders, but goddamn, I fucking hated Nagatoro. I am just not the target audience for that show at all. Yeah, I had quite a few facepalm moments this past year, but I also watched... As I said in my recent tweet, a lot of shit isekai in the past few weeks. Well, that's just true to form. I think I agree, though, that especially coming off of the previous year, which in 2020, there were so many delays because of studios just starting to deal with COVID and figuring out production schedules and a bunch of stuff getting pushed back that I still thought it was a good year, but there was definitely, you know, shows that got pushed and, and things that got delayed, et cetera. And so... This year was just an absolute banger. 2022 is looking like an absolute banger as well. So it really is an upward trend for overall, I think, quality of anime for the average consumer. And it's exciting to get to look back on it in the way that we do. Yeah, it's so exciting to let the populace watch Bell. I'm really <laughs> excited to see what people think. Fuck, I'm not. <laughs> Every time I see a Bell review and someone talks about it positively, I'm just like, did we watch the same fucking movie? Because apparently we did it. <laughs> yeah, we have a chat from everyone who went to Anime NYC together, and 
Honestly, anytime one of us sees a Bell promo, it's just on that chat. And it's hilarious to see people continuously spam it with, this is going to be the worst thing I'm ever going to see in my life. It's such a bad movie, bro. I don't know what else to tell you. All right. So maybe let's outline how we're going to do this episode if you weren't around with us for our 2020 anime review. So the way that we do this is last year, we were pretty excessive in our review of the year so we went season by season talking about every show that we watched and giving some full thoughts that was partly due to the fact that we obviously did not have an anime podcast in the prior year we're gonna do the same thing this year but we're gonna be a little bit more succinct hopefully in our thoughts and just give sort of a highs and lows of each season and talking about the shows that stood out to us and some final thoughts if you want more in-depth thoughts on the shows that we didn't talk about maybe your favorites from a specific season or something that you really didn't like from a specific season and you want our first impressions you can go back and reference the winter 2021 spring summer fall first impressions episodes in order to get a longer discussion than what you might get here and then we are going to talk about the crunchyroll award nominations that's just yearly tradition <laughs> time for us to dunk on some of the shit that gets nominated or didn't get nominated. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll do our own award categories. And hopefully a lot of the episode will be spent discussing the stuff that we just really liked and the aspects of the shows that we really liked. Anything else you want to add? No, let's get into this rapid fire review of the year. All right. Starting off with winter 2021. Do you have any general thoughts on the full season? So winter 2021, if I remember correctly, had a lot of heavy hitters, I think. Uh, it had Attack on Titan, the first part of season four, ReZero, Mushoku Tensei. People were really excited about Horimiya. Wonder Egg was blowing up. So I remember a lot of shows that people were excited about and that people were talking about on Twitter and other places. So it's also when we started our podcast. It was one of our first episodes was that Winter 2021 first impression. So I look back on it fondly, <laughs> is what I would say. Yeah, I think coming off of 2020, the winter 2021 season had some really high highs and it also had some really low lows. So you mentioned a few there and I just kind of wanted to focus on them. So I think you know this, maybe not everyone knows this. I always wait till a season is over to watch the entirety of a show. I waited for Attack on Titan season four, part one. It literally broke the internet. I was struggling so hard not to get spoiled on things. So people all over Twitter were losing their minds about it. I know you were super excited for Yuru Camp. I remember watching some of the episodes of Yuru Camp with you. I fucking love it. You were super psyched about it. ReZero, Season 2, Part 2. All of these are super loved. And then we come to Mushoku Tensei. I am going to be gushing over Mushoku Tensei in this episode, so I'm not going to talk about it too much here. But this is an isekai for isekai lovers. This is the show that if you love fantasy, if you love, yeah, I'll say it, if you love ecchi, this <laughs> is the place that you're going to be going. And then there were some shows that left a hole for me, really had an emotional impact on me. Hori Mia, Redo of a Healer, just really hit hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, redo of a healer hit hard. That's like the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> but what else? What else in this season stood out to me? There were some shows that I had never heard of before, but that stuck out to me kind of almost like gems. And one of those was So I'm a Spider, So What? That show had elements to it that had no place being as good as they should have been for literally Spider Isekai. 
Yeah. I had no idea what to expect from the show. And in my first impressions episode, you could tell that I was pleasantly surprised. And then there was X-Arm. X-Arm <laughs> broke the internet, but in a different way. And this is what I really mean by for worse when it comes to for better or for worse. X-Arm, people were dunking on that shit like they were dunking on Berserk 2016 because the CGI in it, I know CGI is always contentious, but this really united the anime community in a way I had not seen the community united in a long time. Yeah, that mal rating is fucking low and it's absolutely deserved. I guess to run through some of my highlights in a little bit more detail, I love Attack on Titan, so I was excited for it similarly to how you were, but I was watching weekly and I don't know how you managed to avoid spoilers for the (laughs) entire season and then the rest of the year. That's honestly impressive. But I was participating in discourse, reading Reddit threads, looking at people talking about it as it was trending on Twitter. And that was a really fun experience. It reminded me a lot of watching Game of Thrones weekly and, you know, waiting for all the discourse around that. That's one of the reasons I like watching anime weekly is because of that discourse. And it's rare that you get a show like Attack on Titan that breaks out of the anime community into that weekly discourse with people having theories about what this means and how different plot points are connected. And obviously everybody felt the switch to MAPPA from wit and maybe there are some fair complaints about cgi generally but i thought mappa did a good job with the first part of the season overall and setting everything up declaration of war is one of my favorite attack on titan episodes which is one of the first few episodes of the season and i think they built up those first few episodes really well so i really enjoyed attack on titan and i'm enjoying the second part of that season now i also enjoyed rezero i don't like rezero as much as attack on titan but i actually felt myself a little bit more invested in the lore in all of season two generally compared to season one. I'm still not, you know, as in love with ReZero as a lot of people are, but they introduced Echidna and that's my fucking girl. So, (laughs) yeah, honestly, you know, I agree with you there. I am not as invested in ReZero as I thought it would be. I mean, we disagree on this. I think season one is better than season two, which is maybe a hot take. But um, yeah, there are some elements to season two there that I, I just wasn't really connecting with. You know, another show that I haven't watched yet, but that was gaining a lot of traction online, which is Skate the Infinity. Sports anime are something that I've been saying I've been getting more into. And this is a show that I'm still really excited to watch because people seem to really love it. And it's made quite an impact at the Crunchyroll Awards. There are a few categories where Skate is actually represented. So let's see where that ends up. There's always one or two shows that get a lot of nominations seemingly out of nowhere, at least for me. And this year, it's definitely Skate the Infinity. I think the year prior, it was Akudama Drive that got a lot of nominations that I was not necessarily expecting. So there's always a show like that. Let's see. What else did I have thoughts on for this season? As you mentioned, I fucking love Eurocamp. I recognize that it's beloved in its fan base. And if you like Slice of Life, cute girls doing cute things, it's one of the best shows there is. But obviously not for everyone. Horimiya, I enjoyed for what it was. And I thought it was refreshing in its romance and its handling of a rom-com. I thought the ending kind of dragged and they didn't really know what they were doing. And obviously they were condensing a lot of slice of life manga stuff with a bunch of side characters into the last half of the show. And I didn't think that worked super well, but I still enjoyed Horimiya. And if you want to check out our interview with Marissa Duran, Hori's English VA, you should go to that episode on voice acting. So at least Horimiya gave us a really cool connection to a podcast guest, which I think was one of our favorite episodes from the previous year. And then I guess the other two shows I wanted to mention, the second season of Beastars aired. I like Beastars a lot more than you. 
although I did enjoy this season, I think a little bit less than the first. I just think Beastars is great as this character drama and the CGI in it is really nice. But I think my problem with it is that it's just trying to do too much, or at least in this season, it felt like it was trying to cram a bunch of narratives and a bunch of different genres all into one one core season. And that I think leaves it in, in sort of a weird place, but it is getting another season after that that I will definitely watch and hopefully some more of the plot comes together. And then the last show I wanted to mention is Wonder Egg Priority. Holy fuck, I was in love with Wonder Egg Priority in its first few episodes as this like passion project with a really small dedicated team working out a very concise, clear vision with really good handling of delicate subject matter. And then holy fuck did the production absolutely screw it into infinity. Like <laughs> that show got so much worse over time into this non-ending that ruined all the setup that had been done earlier in the show. And it's just really disappointing. Oh, and then I guess the last show that I should mention is Promised Neverland season two, which I don't want to <laughs> dwell on at all. But if we're talking about wasted potential, that's pretty much it. They just speed ran the entire manga in the second season in a way that is honestly terrible. Like if you want to watch Promised Neverland, the first season is good. Watch that. And then don't even bother with the second season. It's just not worth your time. I agree with that. So let's move on to spring 2021 then. Spring 2021 for me was a season of new titles as opposed to continuing ones. We did have heavy hitters again, like My Hero Academia Season 5. We had Zombieland Saga Season 2. And for those few of us that watch Megalobox, Megalobox Season 2 premiered as well. But it was really the new titles, I think, that stood out in Spring 2021. Odd Taxi is easily on the shortlist for anime of the year. Definitely. Vivi Flora Isong came out of left field with this incredible robot idol narrative that no one was expecting. To Your Eternity is probably one of the most emotional shows from the past year, and I think a lot of people fell in love with it from its early episodes. Tokyo Avengers has become beloved within the community. I know when we went to Anime NYC, I think I saw more Tokyo Avengers cosplay than almost anything else except for Genshin, and that was expected. And Demon Slayer, and Demon Slayer. But and, I, and Demon but Slayer, I was surprised by the amount of Tokyo Avengers cosplay. It does seem like a lot of Shonen fans are super into it. Exactly. And then finally, 86, which made an impact at the Crunchyroll nominations. We see it in a lot of different categories, as well as Don't Toy With Me, Miss Nagataro, which is perhaps our low of the season. <laughs> So what did you think? Yeah, overall, I think I agree with that. I think Odd Taxi undoubtedly is one of my favorite shows of the year. The way it set up its central mystery, the way all of the narrative threads are resolved, the way it has a bunch of twists in the narrative that are just really, really well done. I love Odd Taxi. I actually missed it while it was airing, but went back and caught up to it, I think in the summer or something. And Easily one of the best shows of the year that completely surprised me. Vivi, I liked for the animation and the music. And the plot was resolved in a way that was satisfactory, but I wouldn't say it was anime of the year level, although I did enjoy it for a lot of the components it did well. I fucking love Fruits Basket, and the ending to Fruits Basket, to this new iteration of Fruits Basket, was done really well. Super, super emotional. I actually dropped to your eternity. 
Wow. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> and I don't drop a lot of shows. And it's not because it's bad at all. I just took some time away from it while I was watching other stuff and then had a daunting like 14 episodes left to watch. And it was just to show that while the first episode really spoke to me, I never felt a strong pull to go back and finish it because of the narrative just not gripping me in a way that it seems like it gripped a lot of other people. So I think it's a totally fine and good show, but I just didn't do it for me for some reason. And then I already said what I thought about Nagatoro. I don't need to talk about that more. I enjoyed season two of Zombieland Saga, again, for what it is, as this really fun, comedic take on the idol genre. My Hero Academia season five also aired. I'm kind of over my DVD yeah, generally. I don't know, honestly, if I'm going to watch this anytime soon. It seems like there's no real incentive to watch it anymore. I mean, the characters were originally, I guess, the most interesting part about it, but it seems like the overall narrative is really just dragging. I think my main problem with My Hero is that clearly they have taken some of the main team that works on it and are dedicating the time that that team could be working on more seasons to these movies that are not even canon, but that make a lot more money yeah, for the franchise suck. and for the studio. They're so they're not fucking good. bad. But that's really frustrating is to see a shonen that is not exceptional in its writing or anything like that, but that is just a good standard shonen adapted really well by a good studio and taking a lot of that, the creative heart behind that and selling it off to movies is something that I really hate. But so goes the industry and there's not really much we can do about it. But I don't know. I'll probably keep watching My Hero just for sunk costs and how many seasons I've already watched and in hopes that some parts of it are better. But this season was really slow, especially the first half of it. It was a tough watch. It's always hard, I think, to maintain the consistency of these long-running shows. Yeah. I mean, every big shonen, One Piece, Naruto, or Bleach, all of them have lows. And, I mean, there are moments where the pacing just goes awry. Yeah. My Hero Academia may just be stuck in a rut like that. It may come out of it. I know there are really, really good highs to it as well. Like, the class tournament arc was amazing. I mean, the gentle criminal arc was really emotional. But right now, I, I don't think there's anything really drawing me to it. We'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. All right. Summer 2021. What'd you think? Summer was definitely slower. I think probably the slowest season overall out of the four from the previous year. We still definitely had some good shows. So, for example, it was really nice to see Kyoani back in the seasonal anime game with Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. I really like Dragon Maid for what it is. The effort they put into that show is just very typical Kyoani and it was so nice to get to revisit that. Dragon Maid still frustrates me because it is so well produced and animated and it's such a heartfelt story about family and LGBTQ plus relationships. And then they just slap fan service all over it that feels so out of place and that while some people might enjoy, it's just not for me. So I like Dragon Maid, but that fan service is really just stopping me from really, really loving it as much as I think I could. What else was there? Kakeki Shoujo is super underrated. It's one of the few shows I went back and watched recently later and trying to fill in the gaps from the year. Really, really enjoyed it. And I think it handled some pretty sensitive subject matter really, really well. Aquatope on White Sand was a really nice slice of life about aquarium girls. That's pretty much it. Like, there's not a lot else, but <laughs> it was really, really fun to see. And Sunny Boy actually surprised me by being one of my favorite anime 
of the year as this just example of what happens when you give a director full license to execute his vision. And Sonny Boy just ends up being this really, really interesting philosophical exploration through its 12-episode run. I also finished it recently and just fucking loved it. I think it's really, really good if you're interested in philosophy and you're interested in this unhinged exploration of ideas. You should absolutely check it out. Yeah, I agree with you there. Summer 2021 was a season where I wasn't looking forward to anything. There were a lot of new titles, but none of them struck me in any specific way. I only watched a couple of titles from this season. Sunny Boy, I started watching. I never finished it. So I started watching it for our first impressions episodes. I think you're right that it seems very experimentalist in its design and quite deep in the philosophical matter it explores. So I'm really interested to see where that goes. I skipped Akatop on White Sand. I know you're a big fan of the kind of slice of life vibe, and it seems to really exude that vibe, so I was skipping that. <laughs> but something I did enjoy was Remain. People were excited to see Mappa do a water polo anime. It wasn't amazing, but it wasn't bad. It was just a run-of-the-mill show about water polo. I, I don't know what else to say about that. It was just a fun sports anime to watch. Really just filled in every archetype that you see within a sports anime. And then there was the Isekai How a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom. Man, I don't know how to feel about this because <laughs> on one hand, it gives me strong Spice and Wolf vibes where you have a character who's restoring peace within this world through mercantilism and economic relief and exploring how to not just use overpowered protagonists to actually accomplish a goal. They actually have an intelligent protagonist. So that's what I really liked. But on the other hand, it didn't really go anywhere. And I don't know how many more seasons of this we're going to get. So we'll, we'll see where that ends up. I am pleasantly excited to see where it goes, but not 100% sure it's going to end well. And then we had Girlfriend, Girlfriend. For anyone who watched even the first two episodes of Girlfriend, Girlfriend, you know it's spicy. It is spicy it is spicy and also fucking shit but <laughs> if you want to hear me lose my mind over the plot of the first episode just go to our summer 2021 first impressions i literally described the entire thing and just watched robbie's brain melt live on the podcast so i didn't like it <laughs> it's yeah. bad but if you just want some absolute trash with drama it is good for that there are people there are on the people. internet who loved it. There are people for that. There's always someone. There's always someone. <laughs> All right. And let's move on to certainly the second most exciting season of the year, which was the fall 2021 season. The fall 2021 season was so hype. As soon as JoJo's part six got announced, you immediately had an erection. And I was <laughs> like, okay, I can't stop this man right now. So you, I think, loved it, it sounds like. I fucking love JoJo's. You have not delved fully into JoJo's, but I'm a huge fan. I was super excited for this part. This is the first part I'm watching sort of as it's released and the part I was probably most excited for just to see Jolene and sort of the culmination to the, the prior five seasons come together in the plot. We only got the first 12 episodes because of this weird Netflix drop, which I do not like and we talked about previously on the podcast, but... So far, it's still been really good, and it sucks to have to wait three months to see the next 12 episodes, but Jolene's an amazing protagonist, and JoJo's is just fucking great. There's nothing else like it in anime. 
Yeah, I will watch it at some point. Mm-hmm. Sure. Deep in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Once I finish One Piece. Yeah, sure. So besides that, we had what may be crowned anime of the year, Ranking of Kings. Ranking of Kings is easily one of the best anime I've seen in a long time. I don't know whether it has the repute within the anime community that it should yet. I think people are still becoming aware of it and still watching it. And as soon as people watch it, I think they fall in love with it. So that was an incredible show to come out. Mushoko Tensei Part 2, great, beautiful, (laughs) loved it. 86 Part 2, so if anyone was watching 86, which a lot of you were, the second part for 86 came out in the fall. And then, of course, Demon Slayer, both the Mugen Train arc, which is just a recapitulation of the movie, as well as the start of the Entertainment District arc. Demon Slayer is easily one of the most well-known anime within the last few years. I mean, the movies themselves have broken box office records around the world. Most people outside of anime along with Attack on Titan, I've heard of Demon Slayer by this point. I mean, we see promos for it and people are just immediately losing their minds on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, Demon Slayer is probably next to Attack on Titan, the biggest thing that is airing now. And I dare say maybe bigger than Attack on Titan, just in terms of it being more standard shonen and earlier in its run and coinciding with this large boom of anime and sort of capturing a whole new generation of anime fans. I like David Train. I think I've said this before on the podcast. I think it is absolutely fucking hard carried by the Ufotable adaptation. And this beginning of the Entertainment District arc, while it has been enjoyable, the animation is amazing as it always is with Ufotable's work. I think I've realized how mediocre the writing is. And it is like pretty mediocre. And I think I knew that just because of the characterization of Zenitsu and Inosuke, but I think what's really bothered me without getting too much into spoilers about the latest episodes of the Entertainment District arc is that it doesn't really know how to set up compelling narratives and how to use its female characters. So the reason I say that is because just to give the setup, the beginning of the Entertainment District arc has the three main characters go undercover in the entertainment district and try to find out where a demon is blending in and killing people. And it sets up this really cool scenario and this really cool environment, which could be a mystery where they actually have to figure things out and report back to the Hashira that they're working with. And instead, literally in episode one, it's just obvious who the demon is and they just figure it out because it's obvious. (laughs) Like... (laughs) There's no actual work put into this narrative, which otherwise could have been very cool. And then my second point is that the way Nezuko is used as this potentially powerful demon that has to be locked away all the time, and the way the main antagonist for this arc is used as also a female who could be very powerful, is just really, really disappointing. And I won't say more than that, but... We'll talk about it, I think, later on when we do our winter 2022 first impressions or at some other point. But Demon Slayer's writing is mediocre and I still enjoy it, but I think we have to come to terms with that. I think that's fair. We've had these qualms ever since season one. I don't think there's enough time as well in the show to adequately develop the characters and get their emotional states. We get a lot of background into Tanjiro and especially development of his psyche during the Mugen train 
arc because of his interactions and his dream with his family. Like you see that throughout the show, but you really don't get that for any of the accessory characters. We'll see what, if that gets developed longer in the runtime. But I, I think you're right there. There's a lot of narrative work to be done. Yeah. Just to quickly go back to the other shows that you mentioned, I fucking adore Ranking of Kings. We'll talk about it at length, I'm sure, as we continue on. But I think it's this perfect blend of fantasy storytelling with a really emotional tale of disability at its center. It's really, really heartfelt. It's an amazing, amazing wit adaptation. We'll talk about that more. Mushoku Tensei, I have not watched and probably will get to at some point, but I know it is not made for me as not a big isekai person. So I think it's okay that I'm delaying it a bit. And then 86, I didn't mention what I thought of it when uh, we talked about it in the spring. I like 86. I think it does some really interesting things in trying to delve into the psyche of the characters. And it has this cool mechanism where people are directing other people in mechs. I think that I'm not entirely sure yet how nuanced it's handling of oppression, which is definitely one of the main themes. I still don't know really how to feel about what message it's trying to send. But I think it's a good show if you like mech and want something slightly more psychological. I think it does a lot of things well. Yeah. So on top of that, let's round it out. We had Comey Can't Communicate. I haven't seen it yet, but people are super excited given that it seems to be a really beloved manga. Heike Monogatari, which you were losing your mind to. I haven't seen it yet, but it is on my list. Um, <laughs> I had to add here My Senpai is Annoying, because this is actually one of the shows that I watched from this season. During isolation, I needed something to take my mind off things. And for anybody interested in a decent rom-com, My Senpai is Annoying really hit the spot. It's nothing special. It falls into every trope you can imagine. But if you want a rom-com just to take your mind off things, pretty good one to at least get into. All right, prepare for this. The world's finest assassin gets reincarnated in another world as an aristocrat. You can tell this is a light novel. Um, <laughs> really? Probably one of the shittiest things I've watched in a <laughs> long time. You know, when I say fall into tropes, I mean this in a very fucking bad way, where not only did it fall into every fan service trope imaginable with the collection of a harem, but it also delved deep into some very dark themes throughout his runtime that I was not expecting came out of literally nowhere. And you're like, this is not a proper treatment of some of these things where there's like child endangerment and trafficking and suddenly the children become a part of his harem and you're like, what the fuck, fuck is going on? <laughs> so we'll leave that at that. And then maybe one of the biggest letdowns of the season, which is Tact Op Destiny. What do you have to say about that one? Triggered. I was triggered. <laughs> <laughs> Tactop Destiny really set up the promise of being something cool with this Mappa and Madhouse combination. Again, kind of like Vivi, this AI idol music plot with the road trip set in the United States. All of those elements and I liked. Visuals. Yeah, good visuals for especially the first few episodes. And then it went nowhere, which, <laughs> you know, was a little bit expected given the plot was so fucking contrived that it wouldn't be able to just reel it in. But then I realized it was just a fucking glorified advert for a game, a gotcha game. And then it all made sense. And I was like, <laughs> damn, that's an expensive commercial. And you really baited me into watching it. I mean, it did its job, apparently. It, I'm not going to play the game. So I don't know if it did its job or not. <laughs> but I did want to comment really quickly on 
Comey Can't Communicate, which I did watch and I did enjoy. I think it handles the idea of a protagonist with severe social anxiety with a decent amount of care, which is really nice to see. I think otherwise it's just a pretty standard slice of life rom-com that you can enjoy. It has one character that I fucking want to murder every time she comes on screen because it's just way too exaggerated in her obsession with Komi. But I think otherwise it's it's a good time. Heike Monogatari is fucking sick. I'm going to talk about it at length, I think, later on in the awards. But it really took me out of nowhere, which it shouldn't have given the people working on it and the fact that it's a science Saru production and they typically knock things out of the park. And I fucking loved it. I think it's super, super underrated. Something like Ranking of Kings, while it started out underrated, I think has been gaining a lot of traction and is well represented at the Crunchyroll Awards. Hakim and Agatari did not get that same treatment, which bumps me out, but it's also a smaller scale production with sort of a historical adaptation that I can sort of understand why it has blown up less, but definitely underrated. All right, and let's round it up by talking about the movies that came out during this year. Do we really need to talk more about Evangelion? <laughs> I think we both fucking really liked Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. We already did an entire long-ass podcast about everything in Evangelion, and we talked about this movie at length, so you can go check that out if you're curious. I really liked it. Obviously, there were plot holes and the things about it that we didn't like, but as a more sort of emotional send-off to the Evangelion franchise, I think we both liked it. That one hit. Yeah. The ending of Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, I hate saying that, <laughs> really, really hit. It was a very emotional ending to a show that we've been watching for years. I mean, I, I picked up Evangelion when I first became an anime fan, which admittedly was relatively recently, but it's something that I thought would continue to be a show that I would engage with. And it, it finally had an ending. Yeah. Anno finally sent it off. And that was, it. that was really great. Yeah. Pompo the Cinephile. That triggered me more than it triggered you. But yeah, I thought it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lost my mind a little bit to that. So anyone who wants to listen to our thoughts on Pompo the Cinephile, go listen to our Anime NYC episode. And then Bell. We will talk about Bell in a dedicated Mamoru Hosoda episode. Can we not? Uh, <laughs> we kind of have to. I know, but I don't want to. <laughs> we, will, we will discuss that at length. Spoiler alert, it's fucking hot garbage. <laughs> you got our thoughts on it in brief, again, in our Anime NYC episode. Those are non-spoilers, by the way. Those are non-spoilers, so you can listen to those. And then we also have two movies which we haven't seen, one of which because it hasn't been released in English yet, which is Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. That premiered in Japan in the fall. I think everyone's really excited to yeah, see it. Once super it gets adapted into English, people will love it. And then SAO Progressive, I was pretty excited for this because it's essentially a retelling of the Aincrad arc, but now from Asuna's perspective. So I'm really excited to go see that. We just haven't really been able to because of movie theaters here. So once we can do it safely, we will. Or at least I will. I don't know about you. I don't know if I will. Maybe I'll just join to keep you company and have a little nice. date. But <laughs> keep me warm. <laughs> All, All right. right. Before we get into our awards, I wanted to leave a little section for us to give our thoughts on the Crunchyroll nominations. One of these years, enough people will nominate us to be a judge on this, and then everything will be fixed in terms of these. No, I'm joking. But eventually, maybe one year, we'll be lucky enough to get to provide some input on this as a judge. But I have some thoughts and some takes. But as you were scrolling through the nominations, what did you think? Why is Rudy Over Healer not on here? <laughs> Put me as a judge. Come on, let's go. Absolute absolute monkey brain over there, if that's your first thought. 
It always astonishes me that this is being judged by people that I'm assuming are quite well versed in the full list of things that come out within the year of anime. You assume wrong. <laughs> However, every year, there's always an overrepresentation of shows that are either giant shonen shows, which are, of course, loved within the community, but not necessarily the best shows to come out during the year. And there's also nominations in categories that are so variable and so irrational that it makes no sense. Why, for example, is Aaron Yeager both a best protagonist and best antagonist? Who is designing these? <laughs> these don't make sense. That's got to be a troll. That was one of the first things I noticed, too, that Aaron's protagonist and antagonist. And the thing is, I can see the case for either. But you have to actually make the case for either and stick with it. Like, you can't have both. Yeah. <laughs> That's just not how that works. Yeah. Yeah, it's always hard to see what Crunchyroll is thinking when it creates these categories. I mean, there are loose, loose definitions of, for example, best drama or best comedy. There's best fight sequence also, in addition to best action. And like multiple Jujutsu Kaisen fights are represented in the same category. You can't do that. You're supposed to pick the best one from the show to represent other shows. I think overall for me, looking through the nominations, there were a lot of things like this that I picked up on that I'll mention in a second. I think overall... It does seem a little bit like the awards have shifted away from, you know, there was that meme a few years ago of it just being the My Hero Academia Awards. And obviously My Hero is not nominated for really almost anything. Maybe it is nominated for something. I don't remember. But definitely the number of nominations that it has gotten has gone down. And even Jujutsu Kaisen or Demon Slayer, which are sort of the more popular shonen now, are not dominating every single category. So I think there is a little bit of progression and some credit to the judges to be given here. That being said, the things that stood out to me <laughs> were the Aaron thing. And then the thing that most stood out to me other than that was that Jujutsu Kaisen's nominated for anime of the year again. Like it just won last year. And this feels like sort of an inconsistency. Like you need to choose if something is a continuing series, if it's either the start or the end date that makes it eligible and just stick with that. <laughs> like just go with that. And if you're really going to count cores separately, that's fine. We're getting a lot of split core stuff now. Maybe it makes sense to do that. But Jujutsu Kaisen shouldn't have a chance to win again after it already won. Like, it's just weird, especially because for fan voting, a lot of the second core had also already aired by the time they were voting last year. So it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to necessarily include it again. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I want to dunk on Crunchyroll just because I don't agree with a lot of this. But at the same time, I know they have to appeal to the fan base. I know that they have their own prerogatives when it comes to getting people invested in the Crunchyroll Awards and building it up as an award show. And I think part of that is probably overrepresenting these shows, as, as we've been talking about. Jujutsu Kaisen is, I would argue, overrepresented. Probably, yeah. And we definitely have other big shows. I mean, for good reason. Like, Attack on Titan is an amazing show. Does that mean that it should have taken spots that, for example, other protagonists from other shows could have taken? No. I mean, when you only have five options and you're literally leaving out some of the best protagonists of the year to put fucking Aaron Yeager in it, you're making me want to die. 
I do think that other than Jujutsu Kaisen, the anime of the year list is actually pretty good. So I was pretty happy to see Attack on Titan in there. I was happy to see Ranking of Kings in there. Sunny Boy, Odd Taxi, these are shows that I really loved. And especially Sunny Boy, I was kind of surprised was in there because I didn't know if it would appeal to a large enough percentage of the anime fandom. But I was really happy to see some of those shows included. So I think the overall list isn't too bad. I do feel like Fruits Basket and Heike Monogatari missed out in my opinion. And I do think probably a lot of Mushoku Tensei fans are upset that Mushoku Tensei missed out. So there is room oh, for debate for sure. Yeah, I didn't even mention that one. <laughs> I will say, just I just mentioned Heike Monogatari, the fact that it got zero nominations across the board is an absolute travesty. I think, you know, something like Sunny Boy might be in the same category as it, as something sort of more experimental or appealing to a smaller demographic, but Sunny Boy really did still get a good number of nominations, and... It was frustrating to not see Heike Monogatari get any. And my biggest qualm, honestly, was in the director category because Naoko Yamada is a really well-known director and has done some really, really good stuff. If you're not familiar, she directed Liz and the Bluebird. She directed Silent Voice. She directed K-On! So she's really well-known. And she was exceptional in directing Heike Monogatari. And the rest of that list is men. And it's just frustrating to watch a female creator get snubbed in that way but i guess it is consistent with that show just getting snubbed across the board so i think it's better it's better than years past the representation of anime is more diverse even though again we're railing it a little bit so i think it's slowly moving in the right direction i would love to see the categories stay stable from year to year yeah we talked about that last year but I'm still always hopeful for for where this is going to go. I think that the judges are continuing to put more diverse shows on here, especially as the anime community starts to watch these more diverse shows and as we have conversations about them. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we like to talk on this. It is fun. There are definitely things we disagree with. But on a serious note, we are thankful that Crunchyroll puts an award show like this on. It is good for the anime community. It legitimizes anime as a medium, at least to some extent. And it is fun to debate anime of the year and all these other categories so let's move on to the baka banter awards of the year do you want to start off let's do it so maybe i'll run down all of the award categories so people know what to expect and then we'll go through and i think we will give some of our contenders and the nominees that we were considering for each category and then we'll each give our actual pick and have little discussions about each so our award categories are Best Opening, Best Ending, Best Original Soundtrack, Best VA Performance in Japanese, Best Supporting Character, Best Antagonist and Protagonist, Best Animation, Best Director, and Anime of the Year. All right, we got a lot to get through, so let me know what you were considering for Best Opening of 2021. I usually only had a couple things. I tried to narrow down my list, so... On my list were Color Perfume, which is by Yo Kamiyama from Horimiya, and Boy by King New from Ranking of Kings. I will not mention one here yet, but I will mention it later. So just be aware of that. The winner for me was Color Perfume by Yo Kamiyama from Horimiya. I want to preface this discussion by saying that I'm not the biggest fan of the way romance is done in most anime. And that's because in the vast, vast majority, 
you have two characters whose relationship development takes most of, if not the entire runtime of the show. And often it amounts to nothing. Like we rarely get to see characters actually in a relationship and progressing that relationship on screen. And that's why among all the shows I watched this past year, it was Hori Mia that left the largest hole for me. It was so non-traditional in the way that Hori and Mia Murr's relationship is their primary focus of the show, at least for most of it. You know that we have qualms about the ending. And that relationship is really cemented in the first two episodes. So for most of the time, we actually get to see them deepening their bonds as a couple rather than just waiting for them to make their intentions clear to each other, as we see with most dense male protagonist shows. I really, really wish we had more of this beautiful show. This is one of the few shows where I actually was like, I want to go read the manga for it. But in terms of the opening, which is what this category is, it did exactly what I wanted it to do. It highlighted the characters that are focused on the show, and it had some amazing transitions and visuals. Honestly, I had to go look up if the director was the same director that did Jujutsu Kaisen, who has also done the newest opening for Ranking of Kings, because there were some elements to it with the transitions and the editing that looked very similar. To underpin all of that was this absolute banger of a song by Yo Kamiyama. I also want to shout out the director of the opening and the show, who is Masashi Ishihama. He's worked on some of our favorite shows, at least my favorite shows, including Shinsuke Yori, The Girl Who Left Through Time, Gurren Lagan, and Your Lie in April. So it's very clear this guy knows what he's doing. So what's funny is that this is the category in which I had so many contenders and a really, really hard time narrowing them down. So I have like a lot to get through in the nominees <laughs> section, but actually none of them were the ones you just mentioned. <laughs> like literally <laughs> zero overlap. So there were a lot of fucking amazing, amazing openings this year. The runaway winner would for sure have been Ranking of Kings second opening because that is actually one of the best openings in anime I think I have ever seen. And I lose my mind every time I watch it. The way it's animated with... Okay, I need to not talk about it because it's not even in this year, which is why it's not part of the nominees. It's fucking amazing, and it'll probably win next year. I'm already like putting that out there. But for my contenders, so the first one that I had was Stone Ocean, which is by Ichigo from Kishida Kyodan and the Akaboshi Rockets, which is from JoJo's Part 6. JoJo's openings are always bangers, and this one is absolutely no, no exception. Holy shit, words are hard. <laughs> And this one is absolutely no exception. I love the visuals. I love all the callbacks to other JoJo's parts. It's really, really good. And it was probably my number two pick of the year. And then I'll run through a bunch of other ones that I really liked just very quickly. I really actually liked Boku no Senso by Shinsei Kamatachan. That's Attack on Titan season four, part one's opening, which a lot of people didn't like because it was a lot more experimental and just different in tone to the rest of the series. But I actually really liked it and thought it fit the themes quite well. I liked Kaibutsu, which is the opening for Beastar Season 2 by Yao Sobi. Yao Sobi is one of my favorite J-pop artists, I think one of yours as well. So just hearing their music in an anime was really, really good. I liked Odd Taxi's opening by Skirt and Pumpy. There's a really, really good Mother's Basement video breaking down all of the little hints to the mystery of the show that the opening for Odd Taxi incorporates. And I thought that was just meticulously done as everything else is in the show i also really liked hikaru toki by hitsuji bungak which is haikamana opening i really liked seize the day which is 
by Asuka, which is Eurocamp 2's opening. And then finally, I really like Zanku Zanka by Imer, which is the latest Demon Slayer opening for the Entertainment District arc. Damn, dude, make a short list. <laughs> I can't. I made a short list for everything else, and I really just couldn't here because there's so many <laughs> openings that I really, really liked. So my actual winner was none of those, and it was... <laughs> My actual winner was I Know Supreme, which was Dragon Maid Season 2's opening by Fauna. I fucking love this opening. First of all, the song is just really catchy and just an absolute banger. But what I like most about it is the animation. And we all know that Kirani puts just a crazy amount of heart and attention to detail into its animation and into its openings. And this opening starts off with this really cool scroll of a bunch of characters similarly to how Nichijou's first opening went and then just the level of animation they put into the opening with this sort of semi-rap song and all of the characters dancing to the song and rapping along with it like we know how hard that kind of stuff is to animate and it looked so dynamic i really should have looked up the director ahead of time because i actually did see some threads on twitter breaking down the opening and to all the directing work that went into it but that was easily my favorite opening of the year even in a year where there were so many good openings yeah i actually neglected to talk a little bit more about king new and that is definitely one of my favorite j-rock it's artists. really good to see them doing the ranking of kings intro as soon as their names came on screen i was like damn i knew it was them yeah. they are so fucking good i yeah. still think the first intro to ranking of kings was done really well it's i actually really had quite a hard time deciding between these i think it was just the edge that horimiya had for its characters which were really the foundation of the show in the opening that made it win out for me i mean i remember as soon as horimiya came out you were already like damn i fucking love this opening song so yeah dude i was suspecting it would be at least in your nominees all right ending I have a much smaller list here, so no need to worry. I think generally I'm just like less invested in endings than I am in openings, and I don't really know why that is. So one that I considered was Shogeki by Yuko Ando. That was Attack on Titan Season 4 Part 1's ending. I thought it... Maybe it's just because I attach that ending to like really thinking about everything that happened in the episode and starting to build theories in my head of what was going on. But I really, really enjoyed it. But my winner for the year was Yasashi Suise, which was Beastars Season 2's ending done by Yoasobi. I really liked that actually Beastars Season 2 used Yoasobi both for the opening and the ending. And I felt like I had to give it in the ending category because of how much I love their music and how much I like this song specifically. Also, the visuals of Lewis or Ruiz, however the fuck you pronounce his name, in the car driving down with some of the members of the gang that he's a part of were a really nice way to end each episode. I thought were animated in a really interesting style. So I just really enjoyed the ending. So for me... <laughs> You at least had some other nominations. I, I have to be honest, none of the endings this year really stood out to me. I do actually try and watch endings. And most of the time, my threshold for either a good opening or a good ending is if I watch it every single episode. And there just weren't that many this year that invited me to do that. So as a reminder, last year had endings like Lost in Paradise by Ali, which absolutely broke the internet. Yeah, that fucking banged. Yeah, and The Great Pretender by Freddie Mercury, which is like... Also banged. Come on. <laughs> and and this year, I know we had an ending by Yao Sobi, who, who I love, but I just... 
wasn't that struck by that song and the visuals and the B-star ending. The one exception, though, was the ending to season four, part one of Attack on Titan. So Shogeki by Yuko Ando, I think, was a perfect fit for the mood of the show, especially for the start of Attack on Titan's final season. When you listen to the song, you get the same vibe that the show is trying to put out. It has this melancholy, ethereal feel. I think it parallels the mystery of the show so well. And I don't want to talk too much about Attack on Titan because I know people are really concerned about spoilers here. But it's deservedly one of the best shows of the year. So you should really watch it if you haven't already. I just have to take an aside and really just say, fuck Aaron and fuck Gabi. Because they both suck. <laughs> uh, we'll probably talk more about Attack on Titan as we go through these categories. Yeah. So. All right. So our next category is original soundtrack, which is actually the only category in here that we added from last year. So why don't you kick this off with giving us your nominees and your pick? So my runner-ups for this were 86. This is a Sawano soundtrack. Anybody who's listened to one Sawano soundtrack has listened to every single one of them. (laughs) But the difference Uh. is the music fit this show so well. I love the sound design overall. If we had an independent sound design in addition to just OST category, I would have definitely picked 86 because the battle scenes where you're seeing and hearing all of these things going on in a battlefield are just done extremely well. The detail put into the sound design is out of this world. And so I loved that show. And Wonder Egg Priority. Wonder Egg's Priority's soundtrack, if you want to listen to it, is extremely good. It's a very ambient soundtrack that I have listened to multiple times at work so far. And I think, again, it matches the show. Now for my winner. So hear me out. My winner was Link Click. And I, I know I, I know that I you swear to God. <laughs> I know that Why? Link Click isn't technically an anime because it's produced in China rather than Japan. Why? But this Dongla, which refers to the Chinese counterpart of anime, was one of the best shows that I watched all year. You're lucky that I didn't make it my anime of the year. You gave me that at least. Thanks. <laughs> I know that we've been saying that this year was a standout for anime, but for me, it was also an important year because I had my first encounters with Donghua and Manhua, which refers to Korean comics. And I think that some of you may actually regard this as me cheating on my first and only love, which is anime. But in all seriousness, the quality of the works that are coming out from these other countries is genuinely insane. I actually started to read something for the first time ever, which was the Manwa Solo Leveling, which has actually been announced. We'll have an anime adaptation later this year. And I was just blown away by the high quality of the work that we're seeing come out of areas outside the anime space. And so when I heard about Link Click and actually saw the attention that was garnering, I put it on my list. I have told you numerous times about it. And I just watched it a few weeks ago. And holy shit, dude, it it fucked me up. I remember getting through that first episode and I honestly just had to pause the show and let it sink in. And that was the time that I was texting you. I think you were literally in Mexico and I was spamming you to start watching the first episode because that episode was just so good. It was one of the best first episodes I think I have ever seen in the animated medium. So 
everything from the animation to the story to the sound design was executed so well. And I think the theme of growing up and the family that came across is something that hit me pretty acutely. I think it's, you know, I think quite a bit about us getting older and the relationship we've had with our families as they're also getting older and how they've changed over the past few years, especially in this time where we're living in a pandemic. And those first episodes and the entire runtime, I think, captured those feelings really beautifully. Two things stood out to me from the entire run of the show. First, the character designs. We don't have an independent category for character design, so I wanted to actually mention it here. They are so fucking hot, goddamn. <laughs> like, just pause this, go look them up, because honestly, those two dudes could fucking bend me over any day. <laughs> Second, <laughs> the category that we're actually talking about, which is the original soundtrack. If I'm being 100% honest, I said I wasn't going to do it, and here I'm going to talk about it. The opening ending for the show could easily have been my favorites all year. Dive Back in Time by Baisha Jaws, which was the opening, and Overthink by Fan Ka. They are so good. They are so fucking good. You have to watch it. Just go listen to it. They're incredible openings and endings, and I honestly would have nominated it, but I wanted to reserve non-anime to just this one category. I remember rewinding an episode and listening to the music. If that doesn't tell you how good the soundtrack is, I don't think anything will, because it's so rare that I actually rewind the show just to listen to the music again. You're doing yourself a disservice, I think, if you don't actually go watch the show. So to preface all of this, I haven't watched Link Click yet. I'm sure it's fucking sick. Everything I've heard about it is overwhelmingly positive. It has all the elements that I'm sure I will absolutely love. Like, it does seem like something I am really, really going to like. I was just against including it here because, A, then I would have had to watch it before you made this episode. And I'm definitely <laughs> going to watch it soon, but I hadn't yet. And I didn't have time to add another thing. But also because... As Ravi said, it is not anime. It's not included in any of the Crunchyroll or any other of the end of the year anime awards. And so if we include it, then it gets hard to say, okay, what should we include and what should we include? Do we include Arcane? Because that a lot of people also liked and was produced in France. And then there are a bunch of things you can include or not include it. It's a bit of a slippery slope, but I guess I just have to let you do it for this category. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to My do. My fucking anime <laughs> podcast, too. <laughs> uh. I did honestly give my runner-ups. If I had to pick an anime OST, I would go for 86. Yeah. The Sawano soundtrack there and the sound design is, is genuinely incredible. Yeah. I also promised Ravi that I would give him a space to talk about Link Click if he wanted to in this episode, which you just did. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for original soundtrack, my nominees were also the wonder egg priority soundtrack done by dd mouse and Vito, which there are a lot of things that i have already mentioned that i absolutely hate about how wonder egg priority ended but the soundtrack to it as ravi mentioned in his nominees just really did fit the show well and was really well done overall i also liked 86's soundtrack I generally like Sawano soundtracks, even though they do tend to be a little repetitive, and I don't think it's his best. I prefer his work in Attack on Titan and a few other things, but I think, again, it fit the show well, and it was done well. And then my other nominee was Evangelion's soundtrack for the movie, done by Shiro Sagisu, which I thought was exceptional. But my winner was actually Vivi's original soundtrack, done by 
Satoru Kosaki. And Vivi, in terms of technical achievement, was outstanding. It may not have made my shortlist for anime of the year. I guess spoiler alert for that. But in terms of animation and a few fight scenes and the soundtrack, it was exceptional. And I think I picked it for this category because on top of having a good soundtrack that fit the show and fit its narrative and its themes, it also had songs that were essential to the narrative and specifically woven in so that the idols in the show or that Vivi have to actually sing them. And I thought that added an extra dimension or element to the soundtrack that a lot of other shows did not have. And so that's why I picked it. I actually almost switched my pick last night while I was prepping for this when I actually only finished Sunny Boy last night. And the last few episodes have some songs that are absolutely amazing that I just absolutely need to go download and listen to on repeat for some of the key moments in the show. However, I actually couldn't find anyone that was in charge of working on the music and the soundtrack for the rest of the show is relatively sparse and so that's why i didn't end up picking it but i have to shout it out like just for those last few episodes yeah i'm not surprised by your pick there vv is truly a show about music at its heart and i'm not surprised that it ended up on your shortlist there i mean it did it well compared to talk dopey destiny which did it bad so (laughs) (laughs) all right va performance Did you mean English VA or Japanese VA, or was it up to discussion? So I meant, okay, we actually did not delineate this. So last year, we only chose Japanese VAs, and I think that's because we mostly watch in sub. And so in my head, this was the Japanese VA performance, and I will only nominate and pick from the Japanese cast of VAs, because apart from a few clips or maybe a few episodes that I feel like I need to watch for particular reasons, like a bit of the Horimiya dub or things like that. I pretty much solely watch and sub. But if you really feel like nominating in English, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. Okay. Well, I'm good for now. But uh, <laughs> I, I will say, I think my nomination... So I actually did look them up. I, I did look up some voice actors that I follow quite extensively and who put out amazing work. I think the standout this year, obviously, is going to be Marissa Duran. I know she was a podcast host for us, so this is a bit biased, but I think she's done some exceptional work. This was her breakout role as Hori in Hori Mia, so definitely wanted to shout her out there. My winner, though, for Best VA Performance, and Crunchyroll scooped me on this one. I was not (laughs) expecting them to have this on their list of VA performances. But it's Aoi Yuki from So I'm a Spider, So What? And this is the reason that I actually wanted Spider Isekai as a discussion point, because you asked me why the fuck I wanted this, and this is it. So for a show from a studio whose only other work I've heard of is the famously controversial Berserk 2016 adaptation, Some of the production elements in Soul and Spider had no place being as good as they were. I know people are hypercritical of CGI in anime. We've had this discussion so many times, most recently in our mailbag episode. So I'm going to avoid talking about the CGI in the show. I'm just going to sweep that under the rug. Just let it be. (laughs) But the thing that stood out to me the most was 
the VA performance by Aoi Yuki, who plays the spider Kumoko. So Yuki is a very well-known actress, and she has a long list of titles under her belt, including Hachiman's sister, Kumachi in Origairu, Tanya in Saga of Tanya the Evil, which is one of my favorite isekais, and your favorite frog girl, Suyu in My Hero Academia. Uh, most importantly, she's also the voice of Tamaki in Fire Force, um, <laughs> who has less clothes than voice. But she's also the voice of Mommy in Rent a Girlfriend. So if you care, I don't know if you do. <laughs> I don't really, but thanks. I know some people, though, that will. <laughs> but her performance this past year as Kumako was genuinely amazing. She comes across as this innocent, enthusiastic, goofy main character who's thrust into this ridiculous situation. And honestly, if it weren't for her performance in this show, I would never have continued watching it. Like I said, there were some standout elements and her voice acting was 100% the reason why I kept watching the show. So if you want an off-the-wall isekai, if you're okay with heavy use of CGI... Give it a shot. It has quite a bit of entertainment factor. And honestly, I think she carries this show. I am not surprised at all that that's your pick. I mean, even me, who is not interested in Isekai and this not being a high profile show, I still heard about this performance. So it totally adds up. I was really confused when you read your nomination because I actually also had Aoyuki as one of my nominees, but for a different role. And that was for her performance as Biwa, who is the lead in Haike Monogatari. So two really, really good voice performances from her this year. So that was one of my nominees. I thought she did a really good job being this emotional, passive voice in a historical tale. And my other contender, which is kind of a basic pick, but it was Yuki Kaiji as Eren in... Attack on Titan season four. Yuki Kaiji always does really good work and I thought did a particularly good job taking on the role of Eren in a completely different dimension that we have ever seen the character in the past. He had to be a lot more distant and a lot more sort of well thought out and scary if we're being honest and that is a completely new role to see Eren in. I think they did a really good job as it. But my actual pick was I Farouz, who voiced Jolene Cujo in JoJo's Part 6. And there's a bit of a story to this. So the announcements for JoJo's are always pretty high profile, as you might expect from a show like that. And people were really wondering who was going to get to voice Jolene. And there were a lot of rumors that Miyuki Sawashiro might get to do it because she had voiced Jolene in previous iterations where she had appeared which was in a few jojo's video games and things like that where she was included and she's a really high profile voice actress who's been in a lot of big roles so people were kind of expecting that she might get the nod and she didn't and i think it was partly because she was on maternity leave and had some personal stuff going on but a Farouz got picked instead and a Farouz is a voice actress with not that much experience she had I think done her first major role in like the dumbbell weightlifting anime that came out last year that people sort of enjoyed as like this random show. And the noteworthy thing about her is that she is an enormous, enormous JoJo's fan. And like Jolene was absolutely her dream role. And seeing how excited she was in 
the announcement where she got to go on stage with the rest of the JoJo voice actors, I think really touched the JoJo's community and made people really excited to see what she could do with the role. And she's fucking knocked it out of the park. And for to see someone get their dream role who you might not have expected to get it and kind of come out of nowhere and like fully embrace the role and just be excited to have it is I think really fun to see. And so that was my pick of the year. That's a good pick. I can't comment on it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I think the other one we have to mention is Mamoru Miyano in Urumichi Onisan. Or in Zombieland Saga. Or in Zombieland, or in Zombieland Saga. Saga. That man consistently fucking puts out bangers. Mamoru Miyano in Urumichi Unisan is the only reason that show stood out to me this year because the one scene where he's laughing, that clip I have played maybe a hundred times and still laugh to it every single time. For those of you listeners who obviously can't see us, I just sent it to Yanni and I just watched him chuckle through it. So It's really good. Classic Mamoru Miyano, honestly. You could fucking tell that that's him and he's really good at laughing like as a VA I don't really know how else to say that but he's really good at it <laughs> alright best supporting character who are your nominations alright so my nominations are two from the same show which is Osama ranking or ranking of kings I couldn't really decide who I would put in my nominees between Kage who I think does a really good job being this friend to Boji and this person in his life that he so desperately needs and somebody that for the first time understands his situation and how he feels and can be in his corner 100% no matter what and their relationship is one of my favorite parts of the show and was really emotional and fun to watch so he was in my nominees I had fucking Hilling in my nominees because first of all Queen Hilling could fucking get it Because she's fucking hot. But independently of that, which I have oh, been overruled. Damn, you want that nose? Oh. <laughs> Robbie disagrees with me, but I, I do not I disagree with hot. you. When oh, did you I say don't. I disagree with you? <laughs> I thought we were I mean, texting. I said I would probably take the other one. What's what's the fuck's the other you one? You would take Miranjo? She's like twelve, oh, yeah. dude. <laughs> uh she's like three hundred and twelve, dude. <laughs> she's twelve. <laughs> Anyways, I picked Hilling not because she's hot, but because I do think she is an example of something that Osama Ranking does really well, which is take characters that you might think you know their archetype and where their character arc is going to go. She very easily could have been just this sort of evil stepmother queen figure, someone like Cersei from Game of Thrones who really loves her kid but doesn't like Boji. And they did something really interesting with her, which is that they gave her a lot more nuance. They showed the reasons why she was acting in the way that she is towards Boji and how she's regretful and how she makes amends towards that while still loving her own son. And I just thought they did a really good job adding nuance to a character that you might think you have figured out from a first glance. And that's why I enjoyed her character. My other contender was Shigemori from Heike Monogatari. I think he was a really great supporting character in that he took in Biwa and empathized with the death of her father, which happens in the first episode, and again, raised her as his own child or part of his family. And that I think was really touching to see their relationship develop throughout the show as well. 
But my actual pick was Ai Narata from Kakeki Shoujo. Some people might argue that she is also one of the main characters. And if you want to argue that, that's fine. I think Sarasa's the lead here and she is a support. But I did want to include her because I think it's really exemplary of the best thing that Kakeki Shoujo has going for it. And that is the way it handles its characters and their growth and the problems that they deal with in a realistic manner. I is this former idol who is joining the school that all of these girls are at, which is this prestigious theater academy. And she has a lot of trauma from basically being sexually abused by one of her mother's boyfriends as a kid. On top of that, has all of these problems from her life as an idol with stalkers and just not being someone who can embrace the level of fandom that comes with being an idol. And so she comes to this theater school trying to close herself off and get away from all of that. And her development throughout the show is tied to becoming friends with Sarasa and overcoming a lot of these difficulties that she's had in her life. And I thought that trajectory was just really, really cool to see handled so well. And Kakeki Show just does that really, really well in all of its characters. And so felt like it deserved a place here. You fucking battleshipped both my nomination and my winner. <laughs> so my nomination, for reasons you already said, was Queen Healing. And my winner for supporting character was Kage, both from Ranking of Kings. Ranking of Kings is easily up there as one of the best anime of the year. We've mentioned that numerous times so far, especially because it features some of the most emotional moments I had seen in anime in 2021. This show is really a tour de force in how to develop characters, and it's a shiny example that you don't need incredible visuals and high-quality sakuga to make an impact on your viewers. The cast in Ranking of Kings is stellar, and I think the reason that they stood out to me is because the show spends so much time showing you that they're human. They have complex motivations, and they're driven by some of the same desires and fall prey to the same vices that I think we all do, and that's what makes them relatable. The two character interactions that I loved most in the show were those between Boji and Healing and Boji and Kage. But it's Kage that I chose as my supporting character of the year because he's my boy, dude. He, <laughs> his backstory is heartbreaking. And the way that the show uses his backstory to contextualize his early interactions with Boji give his character so much depth. I remember that moment early on in the show where... Kage is stealing from Boji and Boji is excited to let Kage steal from him because he's making his first friend. No one treats Boji or interacts with Boji as a human, right? And Kage does that, interacts with him and gives him that modicum of friendship that at least comes through in this relationship. But of course, there's this pivotal moment where he decides to support Boji in his dream to be king. And that moment where Kage's character trajectory comes to a climax is one of my favorite moments in the full show and in the full year of anime so far. It really cemented him as my supporting character of the year. Yeah, completely agree. It's such a good relationship and had a lot of people crying in like the second episode of Ranking a Case yeah. because... It made his story, his background, so complex and compact and tie into what Boji was going through and why he was going to support him that, 
it's really just masterfully done as most things in ranking of kings are yeah i know you mentioned healing as well and when i talk about complexity of characters i think healing is like the prime example of that because the show really does go through her early interactions with boji as soon as she becomes the queen and at that moment she's trying to get boji to open up as his new mother the scenes where she's trying to get boji to come to her she keeps trying to offer him cake and gifts and he always runs away from her to visit his mother's grave you see how distraught she is that she can't get her new son to open up to her and as soon as she has her own son you see the preference that she puts on the new prince from a human perspective, you completely understand, or at least I completely understood why her character changed so much and the way that she slowly begins to realize that change within herself. As soon as you see the interactions between Dida and Boji and how Healing realizes that she's picked Dida over Boji, it's really a heartfelt moment when she comes to this realization and she starts to support Boji in his own right. By the way, you shouted out maybe what you would have picked for character designs had we had that category. So maybe here's a good place to mention that I would have picked Ranking of Kings for character designs if we had had that category. And I think it's hard to make a show with as large of a cast as Ranking of Kings does and make each character so distinct and colorful and have their own personality. And it absolutely does that. And the fact that I can sit here and remember all the characters by name for such a large cast only like 13 or 14 episodes in doesn't really happen that often. So I really wanted to emphasize how good the character designs are. All right. So our next category is antagonist. So what you got? This is a bit off the wall. I don't know that many antagonists that really struck me this past year, to be honest. But the one that did was the Republic of San Magnolia in 86. And again, hear me out. So 86 is a mid-tier show. Let's just get that out of the way. It has some really, really good elements like its sound design and visuals, but the narrative left a lot to be desired. And I don't know if you're surprised that I picked this show, especially because I've said over a thousand times on this podcast that I hate it when the themes within a show are super overt. The theme of racism could not be any more overt in 86. Yeah. The reason, though, that I picked San Magnolia as my antagonist of the year is because the one thing the show did really well is realistically convey how futile it sometimes feels to fight against systemic racism. As a theme, racism is prevalent in anime and it's explored with varying degrees of success. This past year, I think two shows stood out to me with their explorations of this theme. The first was the second season of Megalobox, where the brutal consequences of racism and the fight against it, the effects those have on individual people's lives, is shown quite poignantly. The second was 86. This entire show revolves around the tension between the people in the 85 districts of San Magnolia and the not-quite-legally people known as the 86 who are made to fight on behalf of the Republic. So there's pretty obvious discrimination here. 
But what the show does differently, and the reason I chose it as my winner, is that it doesn't shy away from the consequences that this discrimination has on the 86, both physically and mentally. As a viewer, it was exhausting trying to hold out hope that society would somehow reform in the show and that it would accept the 86 as members of the Republic again. But that didn't happen. And that was what, for me, was so cynically realistic about it. It's exhausting to try and fight against racism, and it's often easier to accept the status quo. And that feeling of futility is one that came across for me and the reason why I chose this as my winner. I think that's a, definitely a experimental pick, let's say, but I think the way you <laughs> rationalized it made a lot of sense. So my contender is for antagonist of the year. I agree with you that I kind of had a hard time in this category. And so I don't feel that passionately about neither any of my nominees nor my actual winner, but I'll make the best case that I can. Just pick the protagonist or redo over here there. <laughs> so my contenders were Echidna from ReZero just because she's cute. <laughs> Why did I know you're going to pick that? Why did I know that she's going to be on there? And I'm assuming Aaron's going to be on here somewhere. Uh, maybe, maybe not. But Echidna, I really like as a character. The reason she didn't get my pick is that I don't really know that she functions as an antagonist. I think yeah, I don't she, think she is. I think she's more of... Fan service bait. <laughs> more of sort of an initial force that maybe opposes or complicates things for Subaru. But really, she has her own goals and her own agenda that are not necessarily directly in contrast to what Subaru is trying to do. And towards the end of the second part of the second season of ReZero that becomes a lot more obvious and a lot more of her character is shown. So I don't think she's necessarily an antagonist. For similar reasons, I picked Akito Soma from Fruits Basket as my antagonist of the year last year. And I think he slash she, if you're not caught up on Fruits Basket, is would still be a good pick this year. But I think the ultimate transformation that they go through in the final season makes them a lot more sympathetic and, again, not directly an antagonist in the conclusion of the show. I also just didn't want to pick the same <laughs> character that I picked last year. And then my last nominee was Miranjo from Ranking of Kings, who I find very compelling as a character, but honestly, I just don't think we know enough about her motivations and her backstory. And I'm fully confident that we will get there in the last half of the show. There are a lot of hints about it in the second opening, but... I really can't pick her because I just don't think we know enough yet. So my pick was actually Aaron. From oh Attack my fucking God. <laughs> Are you trolling me right now? No, I'm being serious. <laughs> and let me make my case. So I don't think, I think you can make the case that Aaron is a protagonist because he is and has been the main character of Attack on Titan through its first three seasons. The reason I picked him for antagonist, why I think he functions more as an antagonist in this season so it's not because his actions are quote-unquote evil or against the rest of the cast of the main characters i think that you can have an anti-hero or a character doing evil things and they are still considered your protagonist the reason aaron is an antagonist is more about the shift in perspective for me and in the past few seasons we saw everything through aaron's eyes or through aaron and his friends eyes and through his motivations and what the fourth season of Attack on Titan does really well is it shifts that perspective. 
And part of shifting that perspective is completely making Aaron a distant character whose motivations are unclear to us as the viewer. And so his motivations and the way he's acting seemingly in a plan with Zeke is in opposition to what Aaron as the protagonist would have wanted in previous seasons. And for that reason, because of that shift in tone and that shift in perspective, and because we are left trying to figure out why he is doing these seemingly evil things or being so rash and against his past self, for that reason, he is my most compelling antagonist of the year because I had the most fun sort of trying to theorize what he was thinking about. For the record, I think he absolutely is not in on Zeke's plan. And I think that Armin figured that out towards the end of this season that we're talking about of Attack on Titan. And I think he's about to pull some bullshit on Zeke because there's no way that Aaron wants to just fucking euthanize everyone. But I still think he was a very compelling antagonist for this specific season of Attack on Titan and not for the show in its entire run. I was so close to spoiling something. I will <laughs> hold my tongue. I will hold my tongue and just say, fuck Aaron. <laughs> That's for the best. All right. Our next category is protagonist of the year. It's all you. All me. All right. So my contenders were Jolene from JoJo Ocean. She might be my favorite JoJo so far, to be honest. I've mentioned JoJo's and Stone Ocean specifically a few times throughout the podcast, but she is just such a fun, dynamic JoJo's. And I won't give like my full ranking of JoJo's protagonists here, but they definitely fluctuate from being kind of boring to being really exciting to being a little bit bland. And Jolene definitely has personality and it's on showcase throughout at least what we've gotten so far of part six. And she is super compelling. So she had to be in my nominees. I also had Boji from Ranking of Kings. Boji is someone that you can immediately empathize with. I think he is the definition of someone that I will protect with my life at all costs because he's so fucking cute. But maybe as like a complex protagonist, he wasn't my pick for the year. Toru from... Fruits Basket is also an incredible protagonist that goes through a lot of growth as Fruits Basket comes to its conclusion. And I already mentioned Kokeki Shoujo and the way in which it developed its female characters. Sarasa, the protagonist, is no exception to that. And she is really well-developed. I didn't pick her because actually I think from the cast of characters, she might actually have what for me is the least compelling arc. And I thought the really interesting stories were mostly given to the side characters around her but she was still very, very well characterized. So my pick was actually Otakawa from Odd Taxi. And this is the first time we've talked about Odd Taxi, I think, in just the nominations section. But Odd Taxi is fucking amazing. What I think Odd Taxi does really well is A, the mystery. It's so well set up, and there are hints in Otakawa's personality in the opening throughout the entire run of the show that allow you to piece it together. And eventually, when it does all come together, which it absolutely does in the latter half of the show, all of those things become obvious in hindsight, which is just really, really fun. Otakawa is a big part of that because he is the main character and the protagonist of the show. The second reason why I just fucking love Otakawa and why I love Odd Taxi is the dialogue. The dialogue is so fucking 
well-written and so funny. It feels like watching a Tarantino movie. A lot of people have said this about Odd Taxi and it's maybe a little bit overused, but it does have that same feel of just snappy, witty dialogue that you can just immerse yourself in. And Odakawa is a big, big part of that. There's another reason why I really like Odakawa. I'm not going to spoil that for you, but he is the type of protagonist that I really, really like also because of how the show ends. That's all I'll say but he was my pick for protagonist of the year. Okay. You mentioned some of my nominations. I also had Odokawa. Odokawa is a very compelling character. I think the dialogue in Odd Taxi is hilarious, and the way that it's primarily driven by Odokawa makes him clearly one of the best protagonists of the past year. The other nomination I had was Boji in Ranky of Kings. The reason that I picked neither of them is that a lot of the show is driven by their interactions with other characters, and I think a protagonist at some degree needs to be standalone, and the show really needs to develop them as a standalone character, and I don't think either Otokawa or Boji had enough of that development as standalone characters. And that's why the winner for protagonist for me was I, Oto, from Wonder Egg Priority. Wow. Did you think I was going to put Rudius? I was hoping you weren't going to. <laughs> <laughs> so I really do see why Wonder Egg Priority was the letdown of the year because it has so many good elements going yeah. from it, from beautiful visuals to great character designs to this dark psychological narrative that's underpinning the show. But one of my favorite parts of the show was I. I just want to talk to this girl dude and just tell her <laughs> that everything's going to be okay. Like, you talk about protecting Boji. Like, I, I just want to fucking protect Ai out here. Her fucking yellow hoodie is mad cute. Yes, it's so fucking cute. And like the heterochromia, oh, damn. The fact that she gets bullied from that was a fucking national tragedy out here. So she's a super relatable character. She has this shell around her that's concealing this fun, vibrant, colorful personality that's been suppressed by society. But in those moments where she's dreaming or when she's with her friends, that personality breaks through and those moments really drew a smile out of me. We've been saying this for a while now that anime needs more strong female characters and right here is a girl that serves as a prototype for that. She's struggling to overcome the death of her friend, but she's fighting to get her back. She's struggling against social anxiety, but at heart, she's a very friendly, warm, innocent person that can easily make friends. We see that with her close group of friends. Wonder Egg, I think, may have been a letdown, but that's just because it did so many things well at its outset, and its cast of characters, frontlined by I, is one of those things. This is a really good pick from you. I really like I, and I actually like all of the main set of girls we have in Wonder Egg Priority. I think that's why I was so devastated on top of all the interesting themes that set out, I just love those characters so much that seeing them mistreated in the way that the ending of the show did really just left me so butthurt at <laughs> our time <laughs> even nominating the show for any categories. But I is an amazing character and goes through a lot of development, even in the good parts of the show, that I think she's still a really strong pick here. And the reason that I didn't even think about it is because I am butthurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the mal rating is way lower than i thought it would be it's in the mid sevens and considering there are some 
shows that maybe aren't deserving of ratings higher than that, yeah. I was genuinely surprised. I yeah. understand why, but I think to be a letdown, you have to have some really, really good elements to it. And I, I just wish it were rated higher because of those elements. Yeah. All right. Our next category is best animation. Why don't you kick this one off? All right. So it's really, really hard to decide between best animation nowadays, especially when you have Studio Mappa, Studio Wit, all of these incredible studios putting out some of the best anime we've ever seen. I mean, we're pushing the boundaries of what animation can be at this time. I don't even want to list the number of nominees I had because we could range everything from Attack on Titan to Beastars to VV. There's just too many to count. Link click. <laughs> My winner here was Mushoku Tensei. I'm not surprised. I really wish more anime had an entire studio created just for them and focusing on that anime. And Mushoku Tensei, I think, is a shining example of how far you can push animation under that model. I remember mentioning the animation quality in one of our first impressions episodes, and I have to say, the highs of animations in Mushoku Tensei are some of the highs for me in this entire year of anime. I can still vividly remember that scene that I mentioned in our first impressions episode where Rudius uses magic for the first time, the way you see his vasculature lighting up as magic swells from his feet to his hands, the fluidity of the motion of the water that he's creating... There's innumerable moments in the show like this, and I could pick anything from the fight with Jelaine and the kidnappers to the dancing scene with Rudius and Eris, and I know I'm obviously biased here because this is like the isekai to end all isekai, but everything from the expansive fantasy backgrounds to the lighting to the finest details of motion of the characters, their clothing, their hair... Everything was done superbly well in this show. It is hard not to nominate this as the best animated show of the year. I think if there's one thing that anybody who watches Mushoku Tensei can agree on, which I know we're asking a lot here, given the controversies surrounding that show, it has to be how good the animation is and how good the adaptation has been of it. Like you mentioned, a studio being started just for this adaptation but the amount of care put into it in the animation is clear to see even from just watching clips as someone who has not watched the show so you mentioned that we're in an era where we are pushing the boundary of how good animation can look and that is certainly one thing that makes it difficult to pick what the best animated show of the year should be i mean if you look at things from jujutsu kaisen to demon slayer to evangelion to vivi to dragon maid to wonder egg these are all shows that have amazing, amazing animation that is usually consistent throughout the entire run. I think what additionally makes it really hard to pick what the best animated show of the year is, is when shows have very specific styles to their animation. And I am always drawn to shows that do something unique with their animation. I'm all for Ufotable's Demon Slayer Sakuga. I think it looks fucking amazing. I'm hyped for it. It's great. But what really, really captivates me is when a studio or an animator or a director give a show an identity through the animation style. So my picks for best animated show of the year usually lean in that direction. And there are two shows that I think did that exceptionally well this year. The first, which is my runner-up, was Heike Monogatari. Heike Monogatari 
was developed at Science Saru, which is the studio that Masaki Yuasa founded. And most of their shows have some semblance of his style embedded into the production. I mean, this show, if you didn't know better, might look like another Masaki Yuasa production. I personally love that style. But what I think the show did that takes it to another level is that it told this historical Japanese tale in the Masaki Yuasa style, but also with a layer of almost watercolor painting about it. It really exceptionally made what you would think of as like a painting of historical Japan come to life in animation in order to tell a story actually set in that time. And that to me was so spectacular to see on a weekly basis as I was watching the show. So that was my runner-up. My winner was actually Ranking of Kings. And people might be surprised by this because I don't think necessarily that you might look at Ranking of Kings and Wit's work on the show and think that it was the best animated show of the year. But I think it definitely has its own style. It takes this storybook fantasy style of animation that some people might call childish and really, really perfects it. And it is perfect for the type of show that Ranking of Kings is. So that's one reason why I loved it. I think another reason is that I saw a lot of really detailed breakdowns of some of the animation on the show. And there are just so many scenes I can think of that were referenced in those breakdowns that you can tell the level of detail that was put into the dynamics and all these tiny things that you might not normally see much care given to are really, really emphasized in this adaptation. I mean, if we think about the bar fight scene with Despa and Boji and Kage and these like tavern grunts, it is so fluid in how everything is moving. If you think about the scene where Despa and Boji and Kage are like drinking this shit soup that Boji made and their imagination is like going all over the place because of how bad the fucking cooking was. That is such an imaginative dynamic scene. And I could go through a bunch of examples like this. There's a few fights that are just really, really well done. The one between Boji and Daida at the beginning. There are a few other ones between Domas and the snake guy whose name I fucking can't remember right now. Apias has a lot of fight scenes. The <laughs> guy who you called a brick shithouse, <laughs> <laughs> Queen Hilling's bodyguard, has some amazing fight scenes. So this kind of fluid storybook fantasy style is just so perfect for the show and so dynamic that I just had to pick it. Yeah, I think the animation in Ranking of Kings is definitely unique. It's almost storybook fantasy. It is. In a visual way. As soon as I started watching it, I was immediately drawn into it. And I think the beauty of Ranking of Kings is its simplicity when it comes to the way it's visually represented. Wit has the ability to elevate the animation in moments that it knows it needs to be elevated. But again, just the quality of the direction, the quality of the animation in even those peaceful scenes, those moments when the characters are walking or talking with each other, or the way that Boji is bouncing around when, for example, Healing is chasing him, it just adds another layer to the show that just makes it so enjoyable to watch. The last thing I want to say about 
ranking of Kings as animation is the backgrounds and the environments that it builds. Just think about for a second, all the different settings we get in the show and how dynamic and different they are. You know, think about the palace or the kingdom that Boji starts out in. Think about the underworld. Think about the town that Despa is living in. Think about that like mind palace thing that Dida is imprisoned in. Think about the town that has the lava-like entrance to the underworld that they visit. There are just so many like really unique settings that I wish that there would be an expanded universe for Ranking of Kings. There are just so many interesting avenues that could be explored. I don't know if I actually want that, by the way. Like some shows are just better left as they are. But like I could see myself being really invested in a lot of these other kingdoms and just how the world works more broadly than probably what we're going to get in the show. And I think that's just a testament to how well animated and storyboarded it is. All right, on to our last two categories. So let's start it off with best director. Why don't you go? All right, so there were a few directors that I wanted to shout out, but my ultimate decision came down to two. So the others that I wanted to shout out were Baku Kinoshita, who was the director for Odd Taxi. I've said this so many times, but Odd Taxi is meticulously directed in that it does exactly what a mystery should do by basically leaving no stone unturned. It gives you hints at everything you need to. Every shot that lingers matters for something that you will probably find out later. And that takes an amazing, amazing directorial effort to do. So I really, really enjoyed that. I had to shout out our boy Hideaki Anno for Evangelion just because, you know, the sheer weight you could feel being lifted off his shoulders in the final Evangelion movie. I think we've talked about in our episode how much Evangelion is a personal reflection of Anno, and you can tell that it is, and that's always, always fun to see. But then my decision came down to two, and honestly, on any given day, I might flip the contender and the winner for this category. But what I landed on for contender was... Shingo Natsume, who directed Sunny Boy. And what I landed on for the winner was Naoko Yamada for Heike Monogatari. My choice for these two, and the reason I struggled so much, is because they're very, very different directorial efforts. I think on the one hand, you have Shingo Natsume, who is an amazing director, just like Naoko Yamada is. He's pretty young, but he's worked on already the first season of One Punch Man and Space Dandy, which shows that are very well regarded for the most part. And he's also doing the Tatami Galaxy sequel over at Science Saru next year, which I am just fucking, after seeing Sunny Boy, so fucking excited to see what he's going to do with that. But Sunny Boy really is an directorial effort that allows the director to explore all the interesting philosophical questions that he has ever wondered in a 12-episode anime series. And you don't need to worry about the plot. You don't even need to worry about the characters that much, although the characters embody a lot of these philosophical explorations. But you really just need to live in what is being shown on screen and think about what the characters are saying and the situations that they're being put in. And that, to me, was so interesting to watch and probably the show from this year that I will think about the most in hindsight and maybe rewatch or read about more because I'm so interested in seeing what other people got out of it and what 
types of thoughts people came away from the show with. On the other hand, Heike Monogatari as a directorial effort does something which I really, really admire, which is take a tale that maybe not a lot of people in the West know, but that certainly a lot of people in Japan or people that pay attention to history or study history would know, the Heike story, and take that historical epic and adapt it into a 12-episode anime series with an amazing style, like I've already mentioned. But the way this adaptation was done was by taking a central character, Biwa, who did not exist in the actual historical tale, and places her in the center as sort of the emotional heartbeat and person whose eyes and lens we view the downfall of this Japanese clan from. And she's ultimately powerless because, of course, she can't change what is happening. That's how the history actually worked and she didn't exist in it. But to see her suffering and the way she forms relationships with all these people that she initially hates, I think was just a really, really smart and nuanced way to tell this specific story and this specific adaptation. And that's why I picked it. But both of these shows, I think, were amazingly directed. I totally agree with you on those. I think that I'm waiting on Heike Monogatari. It's one of the shows I know I'm going to like. So I decided that I'm going to hold on to that in my back pocket for a while. Sunny Boy, I started watching, and the surreal nature of it, from that, I think I understand why you pick Shingo Natsume as one of your nominations here. I don't even have to talk about Hideaki Anno. That man's a fucking genius, so yeah. we'll, we'll let that be. The director of the year for me, it was kind of a runaway. I think that Baku Kanishida from Odd Taxi is easily the best director of the year. I have never seen an anime like Odd Taxi, period. It's a show driven almost solely by character dialogue. And for a show like that to succeed, you need to be creative with direction and cinematography to keep the viewer engaged. And Baku Kinoshida did that flawlessly. I am honestly in awe of the fact that this was his directorial debut. Yeah. Because it seems like from the quality of his work that he's a seasoned veteran. The framing for his shots, the way Kinoshida is able to tell a complex narrative visually, is a marker for me that he's going to be a great director. My all-time favorite live-action film is 12 Angry Men. And Odd Taxi really reminded me a lot of that film because of its apparent simplicity and how it's driven by thoughtful camera work and character interactions. All of those things put together make Odd Taxi a definite must-watch from the past season. And I'm really excited to see where this director's career takes him because I think he could be one of the best directors for the coming generation of directors and the coming seasons of anime. I mean, one of the reasons we were so excited and the community was so excited about one direct priority is that it was an anime original where a director seemingly would get to tell the story that they wanted to and it didn't live up to that but something like odd taxi certainly did something like sunny boy certainly did and that's why you know we have this desire to reward those shows anime of the year baby doing it my anime of the year was mushaku tensei 
I thought I that see was going to happen. Your head. <laughs> <It's> unfortunate. <laughs> I see you're shaking your head. Um, I can't tell how much you actually expected me to crown this as an enemy of the year. But in terms of pure enjoyment factor, there was no competition for me. Mushoku Tensei is undeniably my favorite show from the past year. And I want to preface this by saying something that you actually mentioned yourself, that the show is not for everyone. It certainly has some indefensible moments. It does a poor job of properly exploring some character motivations and redeeming its protagonist, Rudeus. But in spite of that, if you can compartmentalize those things, as we discussed in our episode with Mercedes Clewis, the other elements of the show are honestly incredible. The epic high fantasy narrative, the animation, the soundtrack and sound design, all of these things come together to make Mushoku Tensei one of the best shows that I've seen in a long time. I already said I was biased earlier when it comes to Isekai, but this show did everything that I seek in anime. It was able to transport me to a setting that I wish I could escape to with characters that I found entertaining, if not completely relatable. And yes, it had ecchi. Fan service is an element that I definitely enjoy in moderation in anime. I mean, this show was definitely pushing that boundary of what I can enjoy versus what's too much for me. But honestly, it also led to some very interesting discussions with you, with amongst ourselves. I mean, Mushoku Tensei definitely was a controversial show. I can't lie by saying I don't enjoy controversy sometimes, but it was just a thought-provoking show, I think, about what are acceptable themes to portray in anime. And honestly, as a mode for escapism, the entertainment value of this show was, as I said, the highest I've seen in a long time. I binged Mushoku Tensei. It's been a while since I was as invested in the story as I was with this show. And I just, I'm still waiting. I really look forward to the more we're going to get from this. So Robbie's isekai trash. What's new? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So I probably don't need to list my contenders. I mean, I considered shows that we've mentioned on this podcast a lot. Sunny Boy, Heike Monogatari, Attack on Titan, Fruits Basket, Eva. All of those shows and movie, I guess, for Evangelion were ones that I really enjoyed in different ways and were different experiences to watch. But much like the director category, Enemy of the Year to me came down to two shows, which were Odd Taxi and Ranking of Kings. And I had a really, really hard time picking. And I landed on Odd Taxi as my runner-up and Ranking of Kings as my Anime of the Year. And my reasoning for that is Odd Taxi is what my brain wants me to pick and Ranky of Kings is what my heart wants me to pick as fucking cliche as that is that really is what it came down to I think as I was watching Odd Taxi the way it came together and landed the ending the way everything is connected the way the mystery is built up everything that we've talked about it felt like as soon as I watched it nothing was going to beat it for anime of the year because of how original it was how captivating the dialogue was and then Bodgy happened <laughs> And I hesitated to pick Ranking of Kings because it's not finished yet. But I want to celebrate it this year because so much stuff is coming out next year that I think I'm also really looking forward to. And honestly, 
no show got me as excited to watch every episode and as invested in all of the characters as Ranking of Kings, whether it's Boji's growth and the way he is improving despite his disabilities, the way Kage is this supportive best friend that he's always needed, but also has his own interesting and emotional backstory, the way all the side characters are fully fleshed out, the way the animation looks. It really is a show that does everything right for me that I think is truly, truly special. And if the ending sucks, that's going to be tragic. (laughs) But for once, because this is material that in its source is already complete, I am hopeful that the care with which it has been adapted up to this point will continue. And I am confident that all of the narrative threads are going to get tied up but it is the show that even if it doesn't fully deliver on all of its narrative pulled at my heartstrings the most with its characters and with its powerless little prince so that's what i had to go for honestly i'm genuinely surprised i i knew that you were going to be in a split race i guess between ranking of kings and odd taxi I thought that Heike Monogatari might have actually pulled through too. I thought in that head-to-head you were going to go Odd Taxi because it is completed. Yeah. We don't know what Ranking of Kings is going to end as, and it is a split core. So I'm surprised, but it's a good pick. I mean, this is exactly what I mean by my brain tells me that Odd Taxi is complete <laughs> and it did everything perfectly and I loved every second of it and I should have picked it, but... I think at the end of the day, what really, really resonated with me, if I think about what actually touched me the most, it was Ranky of Kings, and I just had to go with my gut. It's a good choice. All right. Well, that's all the awards we have. I wanted to wrap up just by asking, A, what were your takeaways from the year, other than anything that you've already mentioned, and what are you most excited about in 2022? I mean... Anime keeps getting better and better, and it's honestly difficult to keep up with the onslaught of just incredible titles that are being released. This past year, we got continuations of some of the most well-respected, some of the most hyped shows that we'd seen in a long time, as well as individual titles that I think we're going to love for years to come. In the new season in 2022, we're getting much of the same, it sounds like. We are getting some incredible continuations. We're going to see Jujutsu Kaisen come out. We're going to see continuations of Demon Slayer. Uh, Some very interesting drops that I'm excited for, like I said, solo leveling. And hopefully we'll get continuations of both Ranking of Kings and Mushoku Tensei. So I'm really excited to see what happens. I don't know what to fully expect, but I just know it's probably going to be a good year. Yeah, it was a really, really good year for anime this year, and it looks like a lot more of the same. I mean, you mentioned some of the shows we're getting, like continuations of, you know, Ranking of Kings and The End of Attack on Titan, but there's a ton more stuff coming out that I'm not going to be able to come up with everything off the top of my head, but Devil is a Part-Timer, Kaguya-sama, Chainsaw Man, Tatami Galaxy sequel, a bunch of new original stuff that we haven't ever talked about on the podcast like that bubble movie that has just like an insane staff working on it there are so many just amazing titles lined up for next year that i really really can't wait i think it's gonna be a good one yep 
All right, that's been it from us. Next episode, I think we're going to do our winter 2022 first impressions. So look forward to that and us diving into the next year of anime. Uh, what do I usually say here? <laughs> One day, just script it. One day. Uh, so <laughs> you can check out the podcast anywhere that you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere else. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a rating and a review. Check out our website, bakabanter.com, and follow us on Twitter, interact with us on Twitter at bakabanterpod. Otherwise, we've been the Bakabanter Lads, and we'll catch you all in the next one. Bye.